Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Luke chapter 11. Starting in verse 37. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went and he reclined at the table. But the Pharisee, noticing that Jesus did not first wash before the meal, was surprised. Some of your translations probably say marveled. But they marveled. Verse 39. The Lord said, Now then, you Pharisees, clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people... Did not the one who made the outside make the inside too? It's pretty rare that we see Jesus light into somebody, especially after, you know, they invite you to their house to eat. Now, I have been involved in situations like that, and maybe you have too. Hey, come over. We'd like to talk to you about something. Okay, well, what's, what's the story? What's the story? You're terrible at what you do. Like, what? This is a sideswipe deal? But this isn't that. Like, they started it, right? They said they noticed Jesus didn't wash his hands before eating. Now, this is not because of germs. You understand? Ew, Jesus is gross. It's not because of that. This is because... There was a couple of different schools of thought in rabbinical teaching throughout, you know, Israel. There was a couple of different schools of thought as far as how you should do things. This group of Pharisees, they belonged to one of those schools of thought. The whole idea kind of goes back a couple hundred years, few hundred years prior. If you know anything about Israel, they have a they're kind of like us. They kind of have a bad habit of like getting on board real good and strong, you know, New Year's resolution. Come and do this thing. I'm losing 45 pounds, you know. I'm doing this thing. And then like February 2, you're like, I gained 20. <laughs> Stupid. Like the gym anyway, you know. And this is, what, this is kind of how we do. Like we get on board big and Israel's kind of got the same kind of deal. They get on board for a little bit. We go to the doctor, and the doctor's like, we need to talk to you about this. This isn't looking good. Okay, I'm going to start eating right. I'm going to start, uh, let's have pizza. It's the weekend, you know? This is the way we do. Israel did the same thing, except they were specifically told, listen, I want Israel to, to remain Israel. This is very important for the future. So do not marry into these other tribes and clans that are all the way around everywhere, because if you do, here's what's going to happen. You're going to start worshiping their gods. And I'm a jealous God. I want you to worship me and me alone. I will protect you. I will take care of you. But if you go and you, you go to these other places, this is what's going to happen. So cut the temptation off. Keep it here. I've got a plan for you. And Israel for a while would be like, okay, you can count on it. We're not going to even look over there. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The tricks aren't prettier in, in Philistia. They're not. This is going to be great. And then after a while, what happens? They give it. God punishes them, they repent, they get on track, they get tempted, they fall off, 
God punishes them. They turn. They repent. They get back on track. They get tempted. They go off to the side. God punishes them. Then they come back. You know the cycle, right? I'm not the only one that can relate to, okay, Lord, I'll never do it again. What's today? Friday? Oh, it's the weekend. It's the way it goes. And this is them. From this group of people who are trying to do things right, this guy, Alexander the Great, maybe you've heard of him. He comes sweeping through. And so this Greek culture is overtaking everything, everywhere. And it moves into Israel. And all of a sudden you start seeing these temples that don't look like they really belong. Now all of a sudden we've got somebody who's sitting on the throne who doesn't really belong. Then we've got customs and beliefs. And then all of a sudden... Judaism as a religion, the, the, their focus on God begins to get a little bit watered down and distracted and then these different groups start to divide off and go different ways. So there's this group and they jump up and they're just like, you know what, we're not going to stand for this. We're not going to stand for this. Tired of seeing all this go down. It got so bad in fact that it became illegal, check this out, to be a Jew. Illegal. So here's what's interesting. If you were circumcised as a Jew, this is what became. Now we are going to undo your circumcision. Wait, what? Yeah. This is what was going on. Got so bad that the, uh, the, uh, the, the king at the time, not in Israel, but who was making his way through here, um, he goes into the temple, he sacrifices a pig, which if you know anything about Judaism and pork, no, it's a no, it's a no, no. They sacrifice a pig inside the temple and then set up an altar to Zeus inside the temple. This place is now absolutely defiled. It's the worst thing that could ever happen. From the common wealth, from the middle class, this group comes up and they're like, this isn't happening. This isn't happening. And they wage war. So this group who had been serving there wages war. And they take on all of these other people. This whole, um, I believe it's Syrian army that marches in. And this group musters up enough power to fight against them so that they can keep their religion. It's beautiful. A few other things happen. Then all of a sudden we get to this place to where we're trying to protect Israel, the people now from wandering around in circles doing that same repetitive motion of sin, punishment, repentance, get back on track, sin, punishment, repentance, get back on track. And so this group kind of comes right up out of, the, right up out of the, the middle class and they say, we need to figure out a way to keep these people from sinning. The law is somewhat complicated. We've got to figure out a way to do it. So this is what they built, a hedge around the law a way to keep you from breaking the law sounds good doesn't it this is what we say for people coming out of rehab or people coming um, into recovery different playgrounds different playmates right this is what we said you can't go to the place you used to go why because it's wrong well maybe 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 not 
But the chances of you going there and coming out okay, not being triggered, not getting set off, might be kind of difficult. So maybe just don't go. Find something else to do with your time. Hedge around the law. It's a good idea. It's a really good idea. There's some ways that, I mean, you kind of have to discipline yourself. To, I can go do this. I can go do this. Got to go find life on the other side. But there's some places I shouldn't go. I just can't go. Some people I can't spend time with. It's just not healthy. This group of people, they came up with the oral law, the oral tradition. And what they did was they would go around and they would tell the people, listen, if you don't want to break the law, then you know what? Maybe you should follow our oral tradition because if you don't break our oral tradition, there's no way you can break the law. Thus, you're holy. Makes sense. So this was one of the ideas. Don't do any work on the Sabbath. Well, obviously. So what's that mean? The oral tradition would be then, don't look in the mirror. How do you mean? Well, I mean, it depends on who you are and how your night was before. If you look in the mirror, you might have a lot of work ahead of you. So you might have to be careful. Just don't look in the mirror. That way you won't brush your hair. That way you won't exert any energy. You'll just rest as you were told to rest. So some of this is brilliant. Some of this is really, really good. This group is called the Pharisees. So check this out. My entire Christian life, I've listened to well-intentioned preachers and have been a well-intentioned preacher who has said, oh, the Pharisees, troublemakers. When you read it in scripture, Pharisees, this is what you should hear. Dun, dun, dun. This ominous like, oh, the bad guys are here. It's actually not true. It's actually not true. They were not the bad guys. They were actually, if you want to get technical, the conservative right. They run much correlation to the Republican Party, if you don't mind me saying so. Let me explain. In an attempt to hold to a moral strip, to the moral right, to do good things. We get kind of comfortable over on this side, you know? I'm going to, don't worry, I'm going to take care of the people. All you Republicans, I'm going to take care of you. Just keep putting me in office, I'm going to take care of you. And then what happens? They go, and then it's kind of like that's not really what you promised when you were here last. Like you're not really doing what... I think you were doing. And when I saw that we had had a guy, which I won't go, I won't go into names, but he was a, in a certain office inside of our government, somewhat local, who put on his website, which suit should I wear on Thursday? The gray one or the brown one? And all I could think to myself was, shut up and go do your job. I don't care what stupid suit you put on. Go do your job. What are you doing? Like, I don't understand this. In an attempt to do the right thing, sometimes we get locked into this place of comfort. It feels good to be in this position over here on the right because I'm on the right, so I'm right. Right? I'm right. And I'm over here on the right. 
don't worry, I'm right. Because this is me, over here, holding up the conservative right. But how is it you can be so far right, yet end up corrupted? Happens though, doesn't it? How can you get so far right, you end up not even on the grid? You go so far, you fall right off the end. That's where you went. How does this happen? Then all of a sudden, this is what you see. A group of people trying to uphold the moral balance so that we can say for all of the people, we want to hold up this moral balance, this stringent, far-right, right-wing, conservative, all the lovely words we love to use. This is what we're trying to hold up. And then we were there so long, and then all of a sudden, there's a scandal. Somebody got a... Somebody got bribed. Somebody's not doing what they said they were going to do. I think it has a little bit to do with compromise, is what I think. This is the Pharisees. Because you know what I know? Power is fun. Right? You get a group of people that you can manipulate, you can push, you can change, you can kind of put your ideas on top of them and you can watch them kind of just adapt to them and, and, and go on. That's powerful. And you're looking at these group of Pharisees who now they come up from the middle class and now they're looking at this group of people. It didn't matter what they said. It was golden. Golden. Power gets comfortable. Power gets fun. And then you get used to it. You spend what you make. Have you ever heard that? You'll spend what you make. You'll just spend what you make. Man, if I can make $20,000 more a year, you'd spend it. Oh, maybe not. Maybe, maybe some of you would. But it's the same way with power. People who get in these positions, oftentimes they get over here. Are you really doing the right thing? I don't know, but I can't let loose of it now. I'm way too used to where I'm living. I like my gated neighborhood. I can't. I, I, I can't. And if I, if I push against this person... I might lose what I have, so I have to compromise. And it's a game of balance. And this is the Pharisees. Not all of them. Some of them are good. Do you remember the, uh, the name, uh, the Apostle Paul? Do you remember this phrase? I was a Pharisee. The Apostle Paul was a Pharisee. When the apostles went through quite a difficult time getting persecuted and they're trying to promote the gospel, there's another Pharisee who comes in, and they, they kind of defer to him, and, and this, one's name, his, his, this name is uh, Gamaliel. And Gamaliel turns and he says, here's the thing, we've seen a lot of rebels come through here, but most of the time they don't last. Let's just go ahead and let this play out. And by his own wisdom, he okays the disciples, the apostles, to move out and go preach the gospel. And he says, you know, if this thing is really of God, it will go. It will work. It will take flight. But if not, it will crumble, so we don't need to worry about it. He was a Pharisee. Do you remember there was another guy named Nicodemus who came to Jesus at night and wanted to know, what must I do? Like, I don't understand exactly what all this is about. And Jesus said, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, obviously very much a literalist, is like, uh, how do you mean born again? Like, from a, a womb again? Like, what do you mean? And Jesus is like, did your mother have any children that, that graduated? Like, what is that's not what he said but he looks at him and he's like how if you don't know about this how are you teaching about spiritual things what are you 
He was a Pharisee. They weren't all bad. Just like not all Republicans are bad. And I'm not just picking on Republicans or Democrats, but just an announcement. And so this group of Pharisees, they're there. And they've got these stringent rules. And one of them is this. You should probably wash your hands when you come from the marketplace because you never know what you may have gotten into, what somebody else could have touched or breathed on or gotten near. And then like maybe their spiritual dirt got on your bread and then you're going to eat it or maybe on your hands. You don't know. So just to be more careful, let's just do some extra credit for Jesus and we'll wash our hands extra good. If you want to know how technical it got, it got, it got so technical, it was, it was a requirement. The argument was, should you immerse your hands into water and then let them drip off? And another, another group said, you should wash your hands with at least one and a half eggshells full of water. And start at your wrists first and go down. Take your fist. Grind it into your palms, and then do it again. Start from the fingers and let it come down your wrist. Wow, before I eat bread, do you know how skinny I would be if I did that every time before I ate bread? Because I would get so tired of washing my hands, I'm like, you know what, screw bread, I don't care. I'm done, I'm over it. Like, I am not washing my hands one more time today. So this was one of the ideas. Now, there was these two ideas, two rabbinical schools that were going on at the same time. And they had some arguments. And, and it's important that you know this because this started about a century before Jesus was born. And so there's some information Jesus is about to toss out that tells you just how sharp he was. Listen to what he says. You foolish people, oh, let me start again. You, you, Pharisees clean the, you, you Pharisees clean the outside of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people did not the one who make the outside also make the inside. Now that sounds crazy. Two guys in the area, Hillel and Shammai, two rabbinical schools. They had some differences about the way you should honor God, you should worship God. Hillel and Shammai. When it came to studying the Torah, who could study the Torah? See, some of you are not qualified if you're talking to Shammai. Because Shammai would say, some of you are not qualified. You have to be a worthy student to open up the Torah and read the Torah. I got a friend who went to a uh, discipleship program down in Texas. This was, his, this was his interview phone call. Hi, I'm looking to speak with so-and-so. Tommy Nelson is his name. Looking to speak with Tommy Nelson. And he says... Oh, this is Tommy Nelson. He said, I'm, uh, he said, I'm interested in coming into your discipleship school. And he says, uh, listen, I don't know if you know this or not, but this is like a fat kid trying to get into Marines. You better find somebody better than you to call me and tell me that you're qualified to come here. Bye. Welcome to our church. Like that's, the, that's the greeting he got. So he started making phone calls to these people and started having them call this guy and say he wants into this school kept putting him off, kept putting him off, kept putting him off. Shammai. Hillel on the other side? All of you should study Torah. All of you. All of you. If you do not have a Bible, there's a box of Bible sitting right up here. I will give you one before you leave. You should take it. You should read it. But I'm just now learning how to read it. I'm a first grader. Super job. I'll give you a Bible. You can take it home. You can read it. Everybody should read it. Hillel. 
divorce. Shammai, on this side, says, um, major, major offenses warrants a divorce. Hello? Uh, she burns the toast. Pitch her out. This is true. She burns a meal, toss her. She needs to pay attention in the kitchen. Wow, right? That's pretty crazy. There's another, there's another great one. Let me read this to you. White lies. Shemai, he said, all lies are bad. Nobody should lie. To which somebody posed the question, what do you do if the bride is ugly? Do you tell her? <laughs> to which Shemai said, which is crazy that he took the stance on divorce like no major offenses, but he was willing to just come right out and be like, she's ugly. That's it. <laughs> she's just ugly. But Hillel was on the other side, and Hillel said this, every bride is beautiful on her wedding day, thus every bride is beautiful. You like Hillel now, don't you? And the toast thing tripped me up, but I like that he's being nice again. Yeah. One of the other arguments that they had was this, ritual washing. Should you ritually wash your hands to be even more clean than clean? Shammai was of the opinion, definitely need to wash your hands. There was another rabbi, Rabbi Akiba. He said this, Rabbi Akiba would starve before he would ever eat with unwashed hands. He would rather starve. And all it is is extra credit. It's just extra credit. And so what Jesus does is he drops this century-old argument right down in the middle of their life. Wants something that they would be completely familiar with. And he said, here's the deal. Just like Hillel and Shammai, Hillel would say this. Listen, if any part of the cup is dirty, the cup is dirty. But Shammai said this. Well, maybe the outside's dirty, but the inside's clean. Jesus takes this argument between these two guys from history gone by, puts it right in their life. And he says, you know what the problem is? The problem is, is that you think sometimes it's okay for the outside to be clean and the inside to be dirty. And they're kind of like, they're he's talking about Hillel and, Shal and Shammai? That doesn't make any sense. And then Jesus turns and he said this, the problem is, is that even though you do the outside and you clean it up real good, your inside is full of wickedness. Oh, he's not talking about cups anymore. I thought he was talking about cups. He was talking about cups a minute ago, right? He was, now he's not. Why? Because Jesus does that sometimes. Has he ever done it to you? Jared, I need to talk to you about a few things. You know what, Jesus? I'm so glad. I need you to do this. I wish you'd go away now. I'm not, this isn't going where I thought it was going. And Jesus drops this conversation right there, which this is impressive. This is so impressive that Jesus has this vast amount of history inside of his head and he just drops this conversation right out in the middle. You know what else is cool? Is it's talking about vessels and then it's talking about vessels. First it's vessels, now it's vessels. And that's cool. Let me read you another part. Verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, Then you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who make the outside make the inside too? Here's the, here's the application. 
If you're so concerned about the way the outside looks and God made that so you're going to polish it up real good, why aren't you polishing the inside? Jesus takes it to this, this spiritual level of just, oh, that's good. You look great. You wear these wonderful phylacteries around your neck and on your head, these big tall hats, these flowing robes, these big cool beards, cool beards. And they march around and they love all of this stuff and the way they're treated. Jesus wants to bring it to real life. Yeah. But there's another thing that you have to understand. The conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees is kind of like how people can badmouth your sister, how like you can badmouth your sister, but nobody else can badmouth your sister. Remember when I was in school, this guy said something very insulting about my sister. So I went and grabbed him up in a parking lot and we straightened it out, he and I. And um, unfortunately, he was right about my sister. <laughs> he was right. But only I can say that. He can't say it. You know, your sister, you don't say it. Listen, by default, you've got to get punched in the face because you can't say that. It's not your sister. It's my sister. These conversations are very much the same. These are inside family conversations. You see, the Pharisees were standing around Jesus trying to figure out, how does he fit in with us? He's obviously some sort of spiritual teacher and, and rabbi. He might even be a good Pharisee. Should we bring him in? Yes or no? I don't know. Let's sit and listen to him. You see, what we see is that they're all like this. Looking at Jesus like, oh, he's suspect. We hate him. If only we could catch him doing wrong. That's not it. It's not always it. It will eventually get there. That's not the way it always was. They were interested. Why else would you invite somebody to dinner? Have you ever thought to yourself, I wonder how many enemies I have. I wonder if I should have them over to dinner. No. That's not what you do. That's not what they did. They brought him in and Jesus unloads on them straight out of the gate. You see, it's different because this is what they always did. Between the Hillel school and the Shammai school, there were 316 disputes all the time. They had these different ideas and they argued about them all the time. 316 differences that these are the things that they would argue about. I don't know if I believe like you. I don't know if I believe like you. And then some of them would change their mind, which meant the other guy had to change his mind. Well, we can't agree. And so the Pharisees were no different. So they set up this meal and Jesus unloads on them. Let's get into the text and then we'll hustle through it. Verse 41. But Jesus says, but give what is inside the dish to the poor and everything will be clean for you. Verse 42. This begins the first of what they call the six woes that Jesus pronounces. A woe is a curse or a, or a um, um, like a distress, like, ooh, bad deal. Um, almost like a a judgment, a calling of judgment on top of these six woes. And so today we're going to cover three and then we'll go and we'll get the next three next week. Jesus says, but what is inside the dish? Give to the poor and everything will be clean for you. They sought to give you an idea on where we're headed. Woe number one, verse 42. Woe to you Pharisees because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Jesus just commended their work. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. Now, you want to know how absolutely just 
scrupulous this became? If I were to say to you, one-tenth of everything you have goes to God, and then I bring in ten uh, stalks of corn, how many go to God? Okay, good, good. You're as bad at this as I am, isn't it? One. Okay. But what if all the stalks of corn didn't have the same amount of ears on them? So now we get down and it's like, oh, so there's 20 ears of corn. How many of those go to the Lord? Now, what if we find out that some of those ears of corn have actually more kernels on them than the others? See what I mean? This is what they did all freaking day. This is it. Really? We had to map this thing out because we're not going to rip God off. Unless, of course, it has something to do with justice or mercy. If it has to do with justice and mercy, then... Mm. So here's the first woe. If I can be so brave as to throw a woe towards you, if it so fits. Woe to you for taking the path of least resistance. For looking at a hard thing and going around it. For picking and choosing off of the spiritual uh, menu of what God has got for you and saying, I like this one. I think I'll go a la carte. I don't want like the special of the day. I think I want a little bit of peace, a little prosperity with my queso. That's what I'm having. You pick and you choose the path of least resistance. You refuse to stare hard things in the face and tackle them. You refuse to take the mirror and turn it on yourself and say, what is truly inside of me? Am I really living up to what I need to be living up to? Am I as thankful for the things in my life as I need to be? Do I need to honor God? Even if I don't fully know him at this point, do I need to honor him with thanks for all the gifts he's given to me in my life? This conversation with the Pharisees starts off a little rough. But Jesus' point is to pin them down to say, here's the problem with what you Pharisees have going on. You'll parse out all of these small, little bitty things, but when it comes to the big things of God, you withhold. This doesn't work. If you were to look back on your life five years ago, where were you five years ago? What was going on in your life five years ago? Were you healthy five years ago? Spiritually, where were you five years ago? Are you better now than you were five years ago? Or are you in the same place? Because if you're in the same place, that's the path of least resistance. That's tithing, but offering no love. You see, so let me take the tithing part and put it into your life here. There are two groups of people here, I'm sure. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's three groups. There are those who tithe regularly. But let me say this. If that's you and you tithe regularly, but you have murder in your heart and judgment in your heart, keep your money because I'm quite sure that's the only comfort you have in this life. Don't bring it here. 
Put it back in your pocket. Take that and your bad attitude and go get right with Jesus. But here's where the pendulum swings the other side. I don't tithe. I don't. I'm not generous with my money, with my stuff. I don't. I don't look for opportunities to reach out and care for other people. But you know what? I love. Oh, my goodness. You should. I love. You should see half my Facebook posts. I'm like way optimistic. I mean, I'm super love. Like, that's what they call me, like super love all the time. That's what they call me. <laughs> I mean, that's just me. And justice, oh, I'm so about justice. I, you should see my Twitter. Like, my Twitter feed, it's all about justice. Love justice. So good. Su super, did, did anything change, really? Oh, I mean, I don't do anything about it, if that's what you're asking. I'm, I'm not going, I'm not going to go pick it or <laughs> go to a march. That's not doing that. Plus, I'm, I'm working. I, it's, I'm super busy. Super busy. You see, it's on either side. Jesus says, do the first and do the second. Tithe. Be thankful for the stuff that God has given you and find a way to return that gift elsewhere. And love justice. But you Pharisees, you don't. You don't. The next one. Woe to you Pharisees because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Sometimes, and I need to use this as a springboard. Sometimes in small towns, we get so hung up because everybody's going to know our business that we can't get honest. Well, if we were in a bigger city, it might be easier, but since it's so small around here, then everybody's going to know. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And so it kind of scares me to be honest and open and to do that kind of thing. What I'd rather do is go to the marketplace, and when people see me, they have happy thoughts about me, and I wave at them, and they're just like, hey, and I'm like, hey, and then they walk away, and they're like, he's a super guy, and then I walk away, and I'm like, I hate her, you know? <laughs> I would much rather be that way than for me to be honest and then be like, oh my gosh, like, look at her, there's something, this is, there's no way. I can't be honest I have to put on a mask when I go to the marketplace because I need people to greet me and to say hello. Oh, Jared. Oh, you know what? This one drives me insane. Please don't use it ever. Please, ever, ever, ever. Pastor, can I talk to you? Oh, no, I can't do it. Like, I'll just, Jared's fine. Hi, Jared. Anything else is fine. I don't, ah. Oh. But there's a part of me that's like this. Don't call me pastor. But you should let me fix your problems. Super good at it. Shut up. Shut up, you egotistical moron. Shut up. Love to be the answer, man. Love to be the answer, man. There's only two phrases, only two answers, two, two things that I do not, cannot make come out of my mouth. I don't know and no. So ask me anything. I promise you I won't tell you no, and I promise you I won't tell you I don't know. That's how I used to live my life. How many of you are volunteer addicts? 
hey, we're going to need somebody to help us out in the nursery uh, tomorrow. Who's available? Some of you are like, oh, no, I don't have time. Oh, I can't. I'm signed up. <laughs> How does that happen? Like, oh, kryptonite. Please don't ask me to volunteer. Like, I'm weak. I'll say yes. I can't. It's true, isn't it? Why? Why do we live that way? Because when we decide how we appear in our community is more important than our connection to community, we have fallen off track. When how we appear inside of our community is more important than your actual connection to or contribution to the community, you are out of whack. It doesn't work. That's the most important thing, how you look. How is it that sometimes some of you you can be perfect and really in a really great place and you and, and you're spending time with your family and then like your other family mom dad brother sister all them not your husband wife kids this kind of family but this other family call you on the phone and you find yourself in the car before you've even thought about what you're doing or why you're leaving family called gotta run family called gotta run family called gotta run why Part of that has to do with the fact that we are absolutely addicted to people appreciating us. And this is who the Pharisees were. They sat in the front. Why? Because when the visiting rabbi would come, he would want to be able to be there. They would want to be able to sit on the front so they could be like, hi, hi, I'm here with extra points. I brought my Bible and a friend. A little look from stars to prove it. Hi, hi, hi. I've been studying here at this, at this synagogue for years and years. I'm so glad, so glad to have you. It's so great. And they wanted to sit in the front in the important seats so they could be seen. So they could be seen doing this. Mmm. Mmm. Amen. Amen. Mmm. And this is what was important to them, how they appeared inside of the community. When we get to a place to where we decide how I appear in my community is below what I contribute or how I connect in my community... We will find God there. We will find God there. But until then, it's just disguise. Third one. And then we'll go up. We'll, we'll pack out of here. Woe to you because you are like unmarked graves, which men walk over without even knowing it. The graves are there for a reason. Jewish law said if you stepped over one, you walked over one. Even if you didn't know it was there, you walked over one, you are now unclean. And now you've got to go through the whole regimen of sacrifice and becoming pure and clean again. And what Jesus says to them is you are unmarked graves. People are walking into your teaching. They are learning this stuff you're saying and it's doing nothing to clean them up on the inside. In fact, all it has done is defile them more. You've given them a list of rules and said, do you want to know what it takes to get to heaven? Let me share it with you. And some of you will really appreciate this. If you want to go to heaven, then you should give the church all your money and you should never drink alcohol again and don't have any dirty thoughts. 
Who's it? <laughs> Even if you wanted to be in, you're like, I'm not going to make it. I'm not. Even at my, even if I want it, I want to go to heaven, but I think pretty much I'm not going to make it anymore. <laughs> not going to make it. What if you could get yourself in that place? You could follow the rules. That still doesn't get you to heaven. By doing those things, this still doesn't get you to heaven. Give all your money, no more dirty thoughts, no more alcohol. You still don't get to go to heaven. That is not how you get to go to heaven. That's not how you get right with God. And what he's saying is this. You guys are like unmarked graves. You offer out all this information. If we do this and this and this and this, and guess what? You're still defiled. Unmarked graves. It doesn't work. So what do we need to do? So how do I need to respond to this? When Jesus steps to me and he says, here's the problem. You do all of this, but you don't do that. You tithe and you do all this stuff, but you don't do this. What am I supposed to do when Jesus steps into my life and he says, you like the important seats. You put on a mask everywhere you go. It's only about how people perceive you. What am I supposed to do with information like this to where when Jesus says, you're an unmarked grave, you've got all this great, wonderful self-help advice but did you get down to the bare bones of if you don't have Jesus, it doesn't work right? There's a few things I want to offer you. Find a group of authentic people to live with and to walk beside. Find a group of authentic people, people who you know are living the life, who are walking spiritually better than you, and go walk with them. They're expecting you. It's not awkward. Are you with me? Like when you invite yourself into their life and you say, hey, look, can I talk to you about something? You seem like you kind of got it together. Can I talk to you about this? It's not awkward. They're expecting you. The second one is this. Ask yourself the hard questions. Are you really in a place to where you're, you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm firing after God with my very best? Are you? Ask yourself those hard questions and then answer them. Then answer them. Third one is this. Share all of your fears, your phobias, your pride, and your insecurity with somebody else. Put it out there to somebody else. So long as it stays inside the vacuum of your brain, it gets to live there forever rent-free. And it gets to swirl around inside there and it gets to make you feel bad about different things. It gets to make you feel good about other things. But as soon as you take it and you spit it out of your mouth, now somebody else knows and you're not held captive by it anymore. There's a reason that when it comes to salvation, one of the first things is this, confess. Why? Because it's really hard to keep your mask on when you're saying, this is, I'm really not Iron Man. I'm really not Iron Man. And I take it off. And when you start to say it, it begins to disassemble all of these things that you've built up inside of your life. And so you find your pride, your insecurity, your problems, your addictions, your hangups, and you find somebody else and you talk to them about where you are, why you think they're there, what do you need to do with them? This is the, these are the things that Jesus set out. These are the three woes that he smokes the Pharisees with. Next week, the Sadducees are feeling left out. They're also at the meal. And the, the Sadducees are feeling left out. And so what they're going to say is, hey, when you say those kind of mean things about the Pharisees, it kind of hurts our feelings too. And Jesus says, so glad you brought it up. Because now, let's talk about you for a minute. 
And Jesus jumps right in the middle of them, and he lines them out. And so it's, uh, it's really cool. Let's pray, and we will go home. Thank you so much for being here.